This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Respectfully, though, you've set up the parameters through which they will be chosen, right? Your government has set up this process, has outlined the parameters through legislation by which all of these decisions that you claim to be so separate from will actually happen. So are you as separate as you claim to be? Of course. Uh, Yes. As I said, I'll give you the example. We're setting up the table where the parties come and, and, and negotiate. And we're really arm's length. We're not there. We're not involved. The criteria will determine which platform is included, which media outlet is included. And CRTC will be monitoring that, but there's a very limited role because it's not the CRTC that at the end of the process does the final arbitration. There's a group of, of people that are chosen both from the platform and the news outlets. They put in a group and then they pick three of them that will monitor the, 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 the final negotiation. In the two months since the Online News Act was introduced, it has received limited coverage and sparked little debate. The government rushed Bill C-18 through the House of Commons, sending it for committee review after only two hours of discussion on a Friday. In fact, Canadian Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez said more about the bill in the CBC News clip at the start of this podcast than he has in the House of Commons, where he hasn't delivered a speech on the bill or answered any questions. Last week, the Online News Act began to attract some attention as over 125 small and medium-sized Canadian publishers began to sound the alarm. They're calling on the government to fix the bill by addressing concerns around fairness and transparency. Farhan Mohammed of Overstory Media and Jeff Elgie of Village Media are two of Canada's most successful and innovative local digital publishers, operating in dozens of communities across Canada. Both signed on to the initiative and joined me for a discussion on their business models, relationships with the internet platforms, and concerns with the Online News Act. Jeff and Farhan, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, glad to be here. So glad both of you could join. You know, both of you lead two of the, I think, most interesting, innovative, community-focused media companies in Canada. Uh, but to get us started, for those that don't know a lot about both of your organizations, can you tell tell us tell me a bit more about your companies and the local media presence that you have? Uh, why don't we start with uh, you, Farhan, since uh, Jeff's Jeff's been on here one 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 previous time. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, so I'm the co-founder and CEO at Overstory Media Group. We launched last spring uh, with this goal to make communities stronger across the country and wherever uh, wherever it takes us. We Today, we have about a dozen different community publications from coast to coast, primarily in, in Western Canada and BC. Um, our business is mainly centered around newsletters and having that one-to-one engagement with readers in the community. Um, today, we've got almost uh, 50 full-time staff, about 60% of them are journalists. Um, and so our goal is to really focus on communities, um, really putting a ceiling in place, um, and and really focusing and, and going as niche as possible. In my in my history, I used to be the editor in chief and an owner at Daily Hive, which started as a little city blog in Vancouver and then grew across the country. We had newsrooms in the biggest cities across Canada, 
And the goal and, and what we were doing was around big reach, big eyeballs, big everything. And so now it's it's kind of what we're doing is um, very similar to what Jeff is doing with Village, but we're going almost back in time and unbundling what those community newspapers used to be, recognizing that people are part of so many different communities in their lives. Uh, it generally starts with local and starts with that place that they are part of. Um, and then we also focus on different industry publications and then uh, different niche and uh, niche communities as well. So that's where we're at today and what we're doing. Okay, pretty wide range, and it's it's notable to to hear about how many employees that you have. Uh, Jeff, can you refresh us on uh, Village Media and uh, where you guys are sure. at right now? Yeah, refresh and a bit of an update, I suppose. Um, so I'm the CEO of Village Media. We are a local digital only local news company operating primarily in Ontario. So I, I like to consider us the equivalent of the local daily newspaper without the paper. Uh, we operate in 17 cities in Ontario now, uh, three cities in the U.S., um, and have two business publications in the province. We'll be launching another community next week, and they range in size from anywhere population 10,000 up to about 175,000 range. We've built the technology that runs our platform in-house, and we license that to publishers uh, throughout Canada and the U.S., uh, so it powers about another 45 sites. We're now over 140 staff uh, and happy to say that about 90 of those are in the newsroom. So significant presence. Um, and we're, uh, we're sustainable, uh, making money and, and growing. Um, excited to be doing it. Our mission, not far from far hands, is to strengthen the communities we serve. We're deeply embedded uh, in the cities that we operate in, not only with local journalists, journalists but very involved in, in the community and, and trying to make them better places. Uh, I mean, both of you have just fabulous stories. Um, you know, we, we hear so often how local media doesn't work, but both of you are providing I think, great illustrations of how, how it can and how there are lots of people that you're managing now to employ to do journalism in these communities. Can you tell me a bit about the business model that, that makes you sustainable? So we're very much a reach-based model. So we are not a paywall. Uh, we're all about reaching the most people in the community with the most relevant community news and information, and then monetizing that through various channels of revenue. The first being direct local sales. So all of our markets have local salespeople selling, you know, a, a wide range of product across our sites to primarily local businesses. We also monetize through national programmatic sales and open auction sales of our remnant inventory. Uh, we have a small component of reader revenue and then kind of separate from the media operation village, of course, has a licensing stream of revenue, but in the, in the local markets, it really is um, local sales that, that makes us work. It's very complex. People ask how we do it. So while the answer is you have to do a lot of things fairly well to make it work. And I always say it's, you know, no different than running a healthy daily newspaper 20 years ago. It wasn't just an ad beside news that made the business work. It was a whole bunch of elements. It was inserts, special publications. It was obituaries. It was announcements. It was real estate listings, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we've learned that to make the business work in a reach-based model, um, you, you need to do a lot of things. You need to build a lot of traffic, build a lot of loyal audience habit, and then monetize it in a whole bunch of different ways. And that's the model for us. I mean, it, uh, we, we look at deep um, reach in the community. Um, our target is to reach at least 25% of the entire population daily. That is our, our target is to build 25%, not just the adult population, but the entire 
um, uh, kind of addressable market population on a daily basis. And uh, so they're, they're, they're big sites, uh, lots of traffic. And, and then therefore we can develop uh, measurable value for local business out of a very diverse, uh, complica- complicated product suite. Yeah, that's a pretty significant reach. Farhan, I saw you shaking your head as Jeff was describing you know, his business approach. Are, do you do something similar? Yeah, I mean, so much of it is the same, uh, and it's and it's no secret. I definitely look up to Jeff and, and what they've done with Village. Um, so much of it is the same thing in that way, where it's it's local that's powering everything that we're doing. Um, you know, in my in my past, we about 100, almost one hundred percent of uh, of our revenue was coming from advertising, which is no different than so many other media companies. And so today, we're really focused on diversifying that. So what we're trying to work towards is this sustainability model, where we are here for the long term. We're making a little bit of money that we can reinvest it into our people and our and the markets that we serve. Um, our goal is to get about fifteen to thirty percent market share in every community we go into, and so really focused on. On, on developing those relationships, having those one-to-one relationships with readers so that we can have these trusted people that, that we're with. Uh, with that means that we have to be really conscious of the people that we're working with and different advertising partners. So that's one component of it. We've got reader revenue as another and in, in building. Um, and, uh, and then we also have things like events, different brand collaborations, merchandise and things like that. So we're really looking and seeing how can we have these different streams uh, and then also listening to the community and seeing what is that they want and they need. Um, and so, so much of it, you know, it, it's, it's wrapped in what does that ceiling look like? Who do we want to serve? Uh, what is it that people are looking for? And, and what is that trust that they have between us? And, uh, and, and what does that relationship look like? So we know that trust is really the only thing that we have. And, and we have to be very careful with the type of people that we're working with and the type of advertisers that we're working with, um, but also being fully transparent across the board to say, if something is costing us, let's say twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 a month to run, our goal is to make 40000 and that's it. And if we can do that at scale, we have a, a, a good, significant uh, business. But gone, I think, are the days of trying to make a ridiculous amount of money and, and turning crazy profits. So everything we're doing is with this long-term goal. Uh, for us, we're a year old. We've had publications. Um, I mean, our oldest publication is 30 years old. Uh, but our whole goal is we want to be here for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Let's start thinking about things in a smart, strategic way. We need to get through the next five years. We're not going to do that trying to get and, and make crazy amounts of money. We're going to do that by being really smart about it. And so the people that we have on the teams, um, you know, everything is local. Everything is community-based. And, uh, and it has to be. So uh, for us, we don't, uh, outside of, I think, one of our publications, we don't have any display ads. Uh, everything that you'll, you'll see when it comes to advertising is generally in our newsletters. Um, so that's where we're putting, that's where the bread and butter is. And we're building up those relationships and, and having those, uh, those, those really growing lists. But then also looking at to say, if that's your base and your starting point, then where do you go from here? So that way you're not as reliant on social platforms and networks in that way, but saying this is your audience and you you know them inside and out and they know you just as much. Uh, what can you do with that and, and how can you build from there? Yeah, no, the, the relationship aspects of both of your stories, I think is really interesting. Neither of you cited support from the federal government. And I, I'm curious as to whether or not you've been able to take advantage of some of the support that they have. They, of course, got the labor tax credit. They've got the local journalism initiative. Have you been able to benefit from those programs? 
Yeah, so for us, we're, we we just got QCJO designation um, earlier this year, uh, which took almost a year to approve. Um, so we're benefiting from the labor tax credit. Uh, that's right now the only thing that we're benefiting from. Um, but, you know, like I said earlier, our goal is sustainability. And one of the things about this funding and, and anything that's on the table is that we have no idea what that future is going to hold. We are not trying to be reliant on it. We're not trying to build our business off of it. It is definitely a nice to have and, and having support for journalism and journalism expenditures is amazing. And I will never say no to that. But uh, it's definitely one of those nice to haves um, that uh, as we build the business. Okay, Jeff, uh, have you been have you been able to leverage that to help support uh, your growth on the journalism side? Yeah, absolutely. So we were, you know, we applied early uh, to get the QCGO designation and got it in kind of that first wave. Um, you know, as you you know, that generally supports up to 25% of a journalist's salary up to a certain salary threshold. Um, and we also have been the recipient, I think we have five active LGI or local journalism initiative employees right now. Um, you know, I would say I, I'm with Farhan. I mean, we kind of always start with the fact that, look, we need to build sustainable, profitable businesses and they need to act independently of government or other subsidies. Um, having said that, I would say, I think in our case, and I'm sure Farhan's as well, they have done what they set out to achieve in the sense that for us, we use that that money to continue expanding. Like we have hired substantially more journalists since those programs in, came into place. Now, part of that's, of course, the natural course of growth of our business, but that's certainly an element of it. No matter how you look at it, that's more money coming in to the company that enables us to keep expanding. The LGI is no different. I mean, from a business standpoint, it's enabled us to grow faster. Um, it's also enabled us to cover some underserviced areas of coverage in some of our communities. I mean, there's a lengthy application process is very competitive now we actually applied for 14 more and got zero of them approved but that's fine i mean it, it's it's there's a lot of demand for it um but the reality is the reporters that we've hired through that program are covering things that we probably wouldn't have done on our own because it, it's a lot more niche right it's designed to support um roles that 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 are otherwise um not found out there today so i you know i you know i i think that you know, again, in our cases, that they've and many others, they they've they've achieved this this notion of of protecting journalism and and expanding it, and I think that's the key, more so than like you know allowing us to make more money <laughs> in, in that case, right? Yeah, I'll I'll agree with that. Um, you know, it, by getting by getting the designation and, and knowing that you've got the twenty five percent of most journalists and and all of that, it allows you to think differently about how you can get into more markets and how you can grow and how you can hire. And so in most cases, uh, we've gone and, and we've overshot what we thought we could do because we've realized we can go and hire more people, uh, which is like Jeff said, it's exactly what I think this intended to do. So uh, that, that's definitely from our side as well. Okay. So that's a good news. You know, it's a good news story there. And uh, obviously when the government first introduced that, the notion was that's the solu that's at least one of a key solution to trying to deal with some of these issues. And it sounds like 
it was successful in that regard. Now, obviously, we've had some groups that have said it doesn't go far enough or at least doesn't do enough. And so they've turned their attention to the <clears throat> platforms. And, and I want to talk, of course, about the Online News Act, Bill C-18 in a moment. But first, uh, what's your relationship with the large Internet platforms? Do you have deals with them? Do you see them as, as adversaries, as, as is sometimes painted in some of the coverage and discussion that we've seen? Do you see them as sources of support? Are they a bit of both? I'm curious uh, how you see that, that relationship that I, that I suppose at times can be fraught with the Googles and Metas or Facebooks of the world. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with that. Um, we have numerous deals with these platforms. So, uh, you know, as, as it's been fully disclosed, uh, Village Media has uh, the showcase deal with Google uh, for, for content for news licensing. We also have the Facebook news licensing deal in place. Uh, we have uh, participated in various programs offered to the industry with both Google and Facebook, such as their accelerators. Um, we have got uh, funding like other organizations through, you know, they had a COVID kind of emergency grant. Uh, there are some small scenarios like that. We also have a, a fairly significant project with Google uh, that is designed to help accelerate the growth of our, our licensing group. Um, so it doesn't support our media operations at all. It never has, um, but it does enable us to accelerate the uh, development and the, the rollout of the platform. Um, so we, we, you know, we have a number of different deals with them. We have always seen them as friends. Um, you know, there, there's kind of obviously two sides of this relationship. There's this side where, um, we, we all receive tremendous amount of traffic from these companies, you know, presumably for free, um, a lot of it for free, right? So we put our content out there, Google indexes it in search, they index it in news. You know, we, we willingly, proactively put our content on social channels because we want to get traffic back from it. And that is how we built our business. I mean, that is how we roll out new markets. That's how we build audience. That's how we build newsletter subscribers. That's how we generate page views and then therefore monetize our business. So, I mean, that's the first part. It's like without them, those things would have been near impossible for us to do or so, so expensive. And, and most of that is free. I mean, the other side of it is that we used a tremendous number of their platforms to run the day-to-day -day business, you know, whether it be, would be our office productivity tools like Gmail and G Suite, et cetera, or uh, our analytics or our ad serving, or, you know, it goes on and on. I think we use probably 15 different Google environments to help us in the day-to-day -day business. And a lot of those are free. Um, some of them you pay. I mean, sure, we, 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 we give a fee to Google for ad serving, as an example. They take a percentage of deals. You know, we pay a little bit for an advanced version of analytics that otherwise used to be free to us and still could be unless we wanted those extra features. But, but we use a tremendous number of those tools to kind of power uh, the day-to-day -day business. Um, and then beyond that, I, I, I have to say, um, you know, and, and I, I, I look, especially at Google, um, who right from the top, the vice president of news with Google, Richard Jingris, who's, who's quite well known, um, you know, they have been uh, sincere believers in us, sincere. I think they have a sincere care for journalism, um, you know, and, and, and obviously there's, there's some self-motivation there. But when you meet the people behind the scenes of this big, you know, Google, you know, monster, you, you realize there's a lot of sincerity in wanting to help. And, and they, you know probably next to, you know, my parents and family would be some of our biggest cheerleaders along the way. And like just the motivation of having, you know, the head of Google news, you know, cheer you on and be proud of you. It's like, you know, I never want to let Richard down, right? <laughs> because he's kind of been there all along encouraging us and, and, uh, you know, and far beyond 
monetary sport, which is a small component of it. It's just this, this, you know, this discussion and being able to talk to them and participate with their team and balance ideas and challenge the business model has been uh, tremendously beneficial to us. So, so that there's that whole side of it. And then yes, by the way, they're massive competitors in advertising. I mean, the reality is, is they take the Google and Facebook, take a lot of money out of the advertising ecosystem, but you know what they do a lot. They, they have a different product. You know, we're not Google search. Google's done an incredible job at search. We're not a social media channel. Facebook's done an amazing job at that. They've both done a tremendous job of monetizing it. We have a place in the world to play that is that we can beat them in a lot of cases, but not many other cases, you know, and, and we get stronger and stronger at understanding where those wins are for us and how we monetize the business because of it. So sure, there's this weird and weird relationship where we love them on one side and we compete head on with them day to day on the other side. Um, but I, I've always felt they're, they're more friends than, than anything. That's interesting. Farhan, uh, a similar experience? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The only, uh, probably one of the only differences is that we only have one of our publications that is part of the Facebook, uh, the Facebook test um, or the Facebook deal. And, uh, and that's it. We've been part of the, uh, the accelerators and we've got funding. We have one of our publications right now is, is one of, in one of the meta journalism uh, project accelerators. So I've definitely seen them as friends, uh, probably relationships that go back almost 10 years where they've, you know, they've turned to us for support when they need help, when they're looking to say, how do we build this? And they're asking us for opinions. And so it definitely goes both ways where we've been, we've been building it together. Um, I think what, what Jeff said, uh, as well is, um, you know, what they do really well, uh, is that they have figured out ways to target people and they've created these advertising platforms that are superior to most things. Um, the thing that we do is that, and, and, and I do this in part of sales conversations, uh, our local targeting, I think is better in some cases that we have qualified locals who are coming in. And so, you know, our you know, part of the part of the pitch and, and the competitor pitch is where do you want to spend your money on something that is just a spray and pray? Yes, you're targeting, but you're just putting an ad out there amongst many, or you can come to us where we know that locals trust us. So I think if anything, what they've done is they've made us think about things in a different way that there are other avenues out there and how do you be better? Uh, they've challenged us to think about it in that way. They've challenged us to be better. They've challenged us to come up with new ways to reach locals and reach the communities. So, uh, so if anything, it's, it's been, you know, probably good, uh, for, for the industry. I think when I hear comments about how they've, you know, Facebook and Google are eating our lunch and all of this, my response is, yeah, but so has Craigslist. So has eBay. So have all of these other places. Uh, you just haven't been fast enough to adapt and you're still unwilling to. These things have been around for 10, 15, 20 years now, and we're still having these conversations about how they're doing things. So I, I think for me, it's one of those where I, I often question and I say, you know, yes, they've done a good job, but they've challenged you and you haven't risen to the occasion. You haven't risen to the task. You have this protected audience and you're, you're losing your audience to something else. Um, to Jeff's point as well, you know, we, we depend on some of these, these platforms as well. We're using them on a daily basis. Um, we're, our model's a little bit different where we're not solely focused on, on getting as much 
um, uh, getting as many page views as possible. Um, so it's a little bit different in that way, but we still depend on getting people in. I mean, hell, uh, we spend a lot of money on Facebook and Google to, to get ads in front of people uh, in order to convert them over. So, you know, there's this relationship that exists there that you just have to know how to use it in the right way. Um, and, and so, you know, I, we're trying to build our business that we don't have to rely on them, but it would be silly to say that we don't rely on them at all. That, that's interesting. It's not, it's not a perspective uh, that we hear a lot, at least as part of this initial debate. It's obviously been dominated by some of the larger players who have painted these companies in, in, in very negative light and suggested that it's so hard to get deals, even though some of them have struck deals. I mean, that's kind of a little bit the irony, but it's, it's interesting to hear someone trying to get, you know, get things off the ground, go into local communities, and there may well be some advantages. You know, I know that when, when Jeff appeared about a year ago, he had some reservations about further legislation in the area, but, but here we are. So why don't we talk a bit about the proposed legislation? Uh, we're recording this on the same week that, that both of your companies signed on to a public campaign that has over 100 independent and digital media companies that are calling on the government to fix Bill C-18. You know, that prompts a bunch of questions, but uh, first, can, can you describe how this came together? How did, how did so many of these uh, diverse independent media groups decide to come together with a, with a voice to express concern about the legislation? Yeah, well, this has been a, a slow brew. <laughs> you know, I think this has been brewing in the industry for a while. And there's, you know, a lot of us know each other, right? I mean, we, the, the great thing about this group is that everyone, everyone supports each other, right? There, even if some of us are competing, we all, we get along well, we share, we share our learnings, we, you know, we chat informally, formally, etc., um, so everyone's kind of been talking, you know, press forward as a group, it's, it's, it's not this particular group, it is separate, but there are many members that are part of it. Um, and I think maybe that the convening point was a, a number of us were at a, a, in fact, a Google News Guys conference in Montreal a few weeks ago. And, you know, certainly C18 was, was a big part of, uh, it came up a lot during the conference in various ways. And uh, so we decided, uh, a, a number of us just decided to get together and put the word out. And I think about 30 of us attended a meeting saying like, look, we've got we've to do something. We've got to stand up for what we think is right here because we don't really have a, a collective voice. Some people, you know, like, like me, I, I'm pretty noisy sometimes, um, but, but I, we didn't have a collective voice. And I, I think... You know, so it was just, I think we just came together. I don't want to say any one person led it. There was certainly a number of people that were key in bringing different parts of the group together, but it, Montreal really became a bit of a convening point. And then we started this cadence of weekly meetings. Now we have a Slack channel and, you know, now people knew other publishers and they brought them on board and, and um, it's, it's, it's great. You know what? It's great. It, it's so um, nice and refreshing to, see um these new publishers in particular like you know montreal was brilliant for me I, i've been going to these kinds of conferences now for i guess you know six seven years village is almost nine years old and uh you know to hear some of these new startup publishers um has just been uh, the stories are amazing and there was a particular moment uh, at the conference where i kind of i remember where i was sitting where i came to and i said oh no it's like I'm not the startup publisher anymore. We're like the, the old established guys now, right? You know, that it's a different kind of world, but, but there's so much, um, there's passion, 
there's excitement, there's optimism. They're, these companies are growing and they're growing quickly and they're doing brilliant work that's making impact. And I think everyone now just feels like we've found this place where we're, we're all, we, we, there's strength in these numbers now. And we've got so many good stories that it, it, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's just a real great group to be part of. And, and everyone's really proud of what they're doing and, and want things to be fair. I think that that's it. At the end of the day, they're, they're not asking for special consideration. They just want to be considered fairly. Okay. Fair enough. Farhan, were you, part, were you part of that event as well? Or, or were you one of those people that learned about it after the fact? And yeah, jumped yeah, on yeah. Board? Yeah, that, that moment that Jeff was talking about, I think I was sitting right there as, as he said, as he made that realization. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it, it's funny because in, in, and in hindsight, we started thinking about this, that, you know, it, it doesn't, it shouldn't have been waiting for Google to put on this conference and, and trying to bring everyone together. Like this is stuff that we should have been doing for a long time. And so I'm really happy that we finally are in this position that we have everyone talking. Uh, you know, I think majority uh, support like 95% of everything and everyone has their little 5% for their own organizations and, and trying to look at it from, from that perspective. But we're all fighting the same fight. We're all in this together. For me, I've always believed that we're stronger together. And when you look at how the industry has been over the past 10, 15, 20 years, everyone's been fighting each other. And the ones who are at the top are the ones who are calling all the shots. And so heading into all of this, that was kind of the big moment for me where I realized even if we all came together, like wouldn't that outweigh or, or at least give us a big enough voice that, that we could be compared in the conversation? Um, having someone like Jeff on his own is great, but hey, what if it was Jeff and like a hundred others? That would probably be even 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 a bigger voice. Hey, what if we had this across the country? Um, and so now you see it. And, and when we put out that uh, that letter earlier this week, you saw the you saw the excitement that all of a sudden came. And 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 it just, it felt like we we finally, as a country, from from a publishing standpoint, from a small medium sized publishing standpoint, finally we're realizing, hey, we don't need to do this on our own. And that if we're there to support each other, you know, we can do this together. It was funny because even at at, uh, at News Guys, I was sitting in a lot of sessions with some competitors that we're in uh, we're in communities with, and and they are the only they're the incumbent, and we've come in and and you know, getting told, hey, leave us alone, type of thing. But being able to just sit there and and speak candidly with one another, be open and honest, be vulnerable in front of one another. I think it's fantastic. And if anything, it's just going to help us get better. Uh, I just, I, I wish that it didn't, it, you know, we didn't, it didn't take us this long to do it. I wish this is stuff that we'd been doing for a long time now, but I'm glad it's finally happened. And I'm excited now for what the next years are going to look like. Okay. It's interesting to see that community, that, that community on the meta issue here, you guys are in communities and now there's a community of, of these publishers as well. I want to talk about a couple of things that that that's in that letter, but but I know that at least in terms of some who have signed on, but have at least been spoken publicly about it this week, they've expressed reservations about the legislation more broadly. You had Jen Gerson with a piece that was frankly just fire in the in the line saying, you know, we signed, but um, she's not a fan of the legislation at all. Jesse Brown has been vocal about it and even before this, expressing real reservations. So I guess it begs the question. Why? Why start the, with the position of fixing rather than saying 
we oppose this legislation? Is it is it simply a matter that it feels like it's that legislation is going to happen, so we might as well fix, as opposed to saying we don't want to see this happen at all? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, and I'd be cautious to not speak on behalf of the entire group because some people, you know, like most of it, and some people would love to see it fully scrapped. Um, so there's there's a bit of a range amongst the group. I think honestly, we were basically told by numerous people that the government's pushing through with this and it's highly unlikely to get scrapped. And so our best path is to look for amendments and, and a number of bright people guided us that way. And so I think that's why we concluded this, that that's, it's as simple as that, that I think. I mean, so whether, you know, again, some, some are, are taking a view of just scrapping it. I, I might be one of those people um, and, and some would like to see the amendments, but, but this seemed to be the, the most likely path for success. Okay. Why don't we talk a little bit about some of those amendments, Farhan? One of them that you're you've been calling for is a transparent, fair funding formula. You know what, what's meant by that? What are the concerns about what what exists in the bill right now with respect to fair funding? Yeah. Well, I think part of the problem is that right now you have absolutely no idea anything that's that's going to happen. You have no idea who's going to make anything. You have no idea um, who's going to get what. One of the biggest things that that we're saying here is just level the playing field. Um, when you look at the big guys, you throw Torstar in the Globe and Post Media, they employ more journalists than anyone. Therefore, they should be getting more money for journalism expenditures. When you compare their organization that have maybe hundreds and thousands of, of staff versus mine that I employ 30 journalists, I'm going to get less money. That That's how it should be. Um, but right now, there's absolutely no idea. There's Everything's behind NDAs. Um, we have absolutely no idea. And so that's really the number one thing that we're fighting for is let's level the playing field. Let's have the transparency. Um, you know, whether you love it or you hate it, something like QCJO is is a really good thing. Um, criteria, sure, we can we can can be discussed and whatnot, but you know what exists. You know what the formula is. You know that it's 25% up to um, $55,000 and, and you know what you will get if you pass the criteria, you know that if you have a 1000 journalists, this is what you're going to get, you know, if you have one journalist, this is what you're going to get. And so when we're talking about this universal funding formula, that's fully transparent. That's what we're talking about is let's just have something that if you pass the criteria, you will get a piece of and and here it is plain and simple black and white. Right now, it's all gray right now, no one knows anything. And, and we want to just level that field and make it something that we're all we're all you know, talking apples to apples. Yeah, that sounds a bit more like almost a, like there's a, just a pot of money, almost a fund that's available that then eligible media companies can tap into. Is that is that more what you have in mind or is it negotiations, but the negotiations themselves are conducted in a more radically transparent way where you kind of know going in what some of the payment or funding mechanisms happen to be? I don't know that that we advocate necessarily for a fund or, or not a fund, to be quite honest with you. I, I think, you know, to Farhan's point, what we're looking for is a simple, fair formula. And, and, and so I don't think the bill should prescribe that formula necessarily that would, would be determined in future. But but the notion that it be applied proportionally to anyone who qualifies via fair and clear uh, qualifying criteria Um is what we seek, right? So, so what the concern is, is that if, for example, large publishers banded together and negotiated a deal under NDA for 50% of eligible newsroom expenses, when a small publisher 
A, might not even be able to negotiate a deal, period, or might only be able to negotiate for 20%. We think that the concern is a disproportionate response. And, and to Farhan's point, this notion of leveling the playing field, which has been used by News Media Canada to talk about how the platforms deal with publishers, we want the same thing to happen within all publishers that, that meet the qualifying criteria. And, and we also believe strongly that, that it should be focused on newsroom expenditure. I mean, I think this whole thing, I hope this whole thing is about saving and preserving journalism. It should be business model agnostic. I don't think a newspaper should be penalized by any means, but nor should a new digital startup. If you are practicing journalism as defined by the qualifying criteria, and that's what this country wants to save, then we think the formula should be consistently applied based on that. That solves for so much. It solves for this concern over secrecy, transparency, um, you know, lack of, of fairness across the board. It doesn't mean that uh, companies have to disclose intimate financial details of the organization. It just means, hey, here's a list of everyone who qualifies and here's the formula we apply against them. Uh, then everyone knows what everyone's getting and, and, and there's no bias. There's no market imbalance by disproportionate response. The funny part in all of this is like, you know, it used to be big tech versus publishers. Now it's big publishers versus small and medium size. And, and you know, it's like, how far is this going to go? Let's let's just make it all the, the same. Let's make it all really plain and simple uh, so that we're all we're, we're all trying to do it together. You know, it's a just point. Is this not to to try to make journalism better and stronger and and to an extent save it? And and if that's the case, then then, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Do you feel that, you know, in the absence of that, uh, that that raises real comp competitive type concerns for you? I mean, I assume as you are, you are in markets with some of these large players and if they're able to get revenues out of this kind of system that you're not, I mean, do yeah. you feel that that kind of really hampers your ability to, to compete? Totally, totally. This is my biggest issue with everything. Um, like I said earlier, we're not building our company with these these funds and this these credits in mind. If we get them, great, you know, nice to have. But if we're going and competing in markets where we're being innovative and we're focused on community and we're in, in markets where like 80% of our staff are journalists and our competitors I know are not even close to the same thing and they're getting funding and we're not for doing the exact same thing, how does that make any sense? How is that fair competition? In fact, what you're saying is that, okay, we're going to give money to the guys who've been around the longest, who, who are telling us that if we don't get the funding, our newspapers are going to shut down. Well, you know, what, what are we talking about here? Is, is that not what fair competition is, a fair business? And, you know, that's the problem that I have is when I'm thinking about the future of what we're trying to do and the future of our business, that's the number one thing here that just it's 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 so wrong it doesn't even make sense well and, and let me flip it upside down basically against myself in this moment in time i mean we have deals with google and facebook now we were fortunate to be one of a, a number of publishers that signed deals with them that has provided revenue that gives us a competitive advantage against publishers that have not signed deals I mean, that's the reality of it is that we use that money to fuel our expansion, whether that's hiring more journalists, launching more markets, et cetera. I mean, so selfishly, it's wonderful, but it's not the right thing. It's not a fair solution for the industry. Um, you know, it, it needs to be solved. Yeah, I, I wish I wish, uh, you know, all, all the big uh, the big guys had that same mentality as Jeff. 
you know, hey, we know you have a deal. We know that it's that it, you know, you're getting the unfair advantage and you're also calling for change. You're calling for fairness. You're calling for all this. I wish that it was that it was like this. One of the other issues that you've raised is inclusion in the criteria more broadly and questions about whether or not some of the more innovative new startups are effectively excluded from this legislation altogether. You know, how, how do you see how do you see that as a, as a potential issue? Um, there's lots of discussion in the group. And again, and again, this is one where there's various degrees of alignment. I mean, I think um, there, there's some question. I mean, I, so first of all, I'm not sure it's hundred percent clear yet. You know, the bill lays out kind of QCGO automatically qualifies and then there's plus some other inclusion. So there's actually a bit of concerns of over-inclusion, you know, having bad actors get funding that, that shouldn't be, um, you know, that, that shouldn't be receiving funding, but then also concerned that, newsrooms of, for example, one arm's length employee wouldn't necessarily qualify because I believe the criteria is two. So there, there's some in the group that oppose that. There's some that think that it should be two because to get funding, you should you know, be of a certain size. Um, my view is kind of the, the bigger concern is that so if the bill kind of proceeded as is and these deals got done and then you wanted to launch a new news organization, the time it would take you to try to get known, to try to get a deal to the point of actually getting funding um, would be considerable, you'd be considerably disadvantaged. Um, so it's not just the, 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 uh, the inclusion parameters, it's that if you're not in these deals early on, then it might take you years to kind of catch up. And that's going to prevent any kind of innovation. Again, it's going to, it's going to imbalance the market against these. So so again, if, if we went kind of back to this simple, hey, let's like the government spent years trying to come up with QCDO, right? And they did. They came up with this formula based approach on newsroom expenditure. They came up with a qualifying criteria. You know, uh, if that was the, the case here as well, then if I was going to start up a new news org, then I would know that, okay, it will take me X months to get to two staff, three staff. And at that point, I will qualify because the criteria are clear. And at that point, I will get 25% or whatever the number may be, it, it, you know, it, you can, you can depend on that versus some notion that, you know, I might have to go to the CRTC and, and, you know, fight for a deal or get, get in part of another group who will lobby for me to, to get a deal, et cetera, et cetera. And it could take years. I mean, so I think it's a bit of the, the both. It's like, it's, a, it's the logistics of the bill and, and how you go about becoming part of a group and it, but it's also about making sure that it fairly includes you know, startups, innovators and startups of a, of a reasonable uh, level of seriousness. One other piece that's in there is this description that the exemption model raises the potential, is, is a loophole somehow, that it raises concerns about people being excluded. Now, of course, that is the Australian model. The model is encourage negotiations. And if they negotiate and reach deals, you get some sort of approval and there's an exemption from some of the, essentially from a mandatory arbitration. You know, what's, what's, your, what's your concern with that, essentially, you're you're saying you're you're fearful of that model because it may leave some left behind. How do you, how do you see that playing out? Well, look, I, I, so what I won't speak to well because I, I don't understand it um, as much. But certainly, I, I know that Google and Facebook, I'm sure, have concerns with the way the bills written because it, it fundamentally um, it, it could dramatically impact potentially their businesses. And and and, and again, I, I won't speak to depth on that. And so I think they obviously want to be exempt from some of the depths of the bill because it could hurt business well beyond what they do in news. And, and that's obviously a fair concern to them. 
um, you know, from an exemption standpoint, for, from, from the industry's view, I think, uh, you know, again, the concern is you get a whole bunch of players that go out and negotiate a deal, you know, go to the government or the CRTC and said, look, we're happy. We've got our deal. Yet you've got 10% of the bottom end of the industry, the new startups, et cetera, that now have no voice to say, well, how, how do I, how do I get consideration? How do I become part of a group? And, and I think, you know, that has happened in Australia. And, you know, a lot of times we see, well, everyone's winning in Australia. And, and the other day, this, this story came out about how 24 news, you know, more small publishers got a deal. And that sounds great, except when you read the article, you know, they got a deal because a billionaire negotiated the deal for them, you know. And, and, and so if we have this clear qualifying criteria and we have this clear funding formula, why should a new startup publisher who's got a lot of other things to worry about need to hope that some billionaire comes along and gets 20 of them together and goes out and negotiates a deal for them? It just it seems unreasonable. Like, why not just apply it consistently across the industry and, and make sure that qualification criteria is sound? It, it makes it it makes it seem like. I don't know, you know, we're, we're going back in time and, you know, we're not actually solving the problem here and we're not actually thinking about the future of this industry in this country and the future of democracy. If that was the case, this would be so different and, and having it really that simple, like Jeff said, it, it could start us thinking about what the future is going to look like. But Instead, here we are, you know, talking about the different points in it and, and how quickly it's come together and how little consultation has happened. Well, and, and let's go back to the fundamental issue, I think, with the, with the bill. I mean, we want to go back to that. It's that, you know, this has been made to sound like, you know, Google and Facebook steal our content, you know, against our will, right? And, and we, and on this call, all know that that's not the case. We willingly place it in search. We willingly place it in social because it gets us audience and traffic and because we monetize it. I mean, the reality is this, this bill is saying that Google and Facebook take a lot of money out of the advertising ecosystem of Canada, which is true. They do. It's massive. And that money used to fund journalism through newspapers, et cetera. And, and this is really about just how do, you, how do you have them help support journalism? And how do you come up with a formula to do that? I think that that is really, or should be, the heart of what this is all about. And I actually don't think those companies overly object to that notion. But, but I think what they're concerned about is that, you know, this bill has, has parameters in it that could, could dramatically affect their business outside of anything to do with news of, of serious consequences to them. So I think if you came to them and said, look, you guys, you make a lot of money here. Journalism suffering. You know, this money used to go to reporters and, hey, can you, you know, can you help out? They, I think they'd say yes. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the, 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 they know that that's probably a reasonable answer. Yeah. And when we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, we can't just put it, you know, arbitrarily and say, all right, the top groups are going to get X amount and have these deals in place. It has to be something that's thought about, you know, properly and and thinking about the long-term ramifications of this otherwise we're going to be sitting here in you know in how many years from now saying hey look how messed up this industry is now because of this this one thing that has happened it sounds to me as you described these concerns that 
it's not opposition to having contributions from these companies quite clearly as, as a matter of support. I mean, you have deals, but beyond that, there is, is scope for support. But essentially, you're saying that there's fear about how this might break down, that uh, once it once it starts being implemented, if it isn't transparent enough, it, if it isn't equal enough in terms of some of that allocation, that it can actually have a negative effect from a competitive perspective for some of the major independents. Absolutely. Okay, interesting. Quickly, a couple last couple of questions, though. The, the government has, has described this really in two ways. One, they talk about the contents being taken, and you've, you've kind of described how that doesn't really jibe with, with your experience. But they also suggest that this is minimal market intervention. I have to say that, that when, when you describe this, this system, and you describe what feels like little alternative but to participate in it, because you're basically told it's happening, um, you know, what's your view? It, it, it sure sounds like it's pretty extensive government involvement in the media sector. It's Farhan? huge. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right, it's, it's it, no, like to, to think that there's no government intervention here is insane for government to say that they're not like it. It's just it's they are they are in every single piece of it. Uh, big tech companies are in every single piece of it. Like. I, I I don't know how else to uh, express my my opinion on that one. Yeah, it's it's massive. I mean, you know, the, the numbers that are thrown about, and no one's ever said an official number, right? From what I understand, but it is massive market intervention. And 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 again, I, I think what we're saying is, if it's going to happen, and and the debate about whether it should happen or not is a whole different one. But if it's going to happen, which you know, again, we're here because we feel like it's going to happen. So we better, you know, get it amended. So it, it's appropriate, um, you know, and, and if it's not applied fairly, you're talking about potentially, potentially hundreds of millions of dollars distributed unfairly. And, and that could create massive market imbalance. Um, well, so it's, it's market. It's I, market I don't know imbalance. how you could possibly. It's, it's also trust. Like think of it from, from that perspective, um, you know, so, so, uh, I'll use us as an example for a second. Um, we've made a decision as an organization, we're not going to take partisan political dollars around elections. Uh, we've just seen in the past that people think that we're taking money from this party, therefore we support this party. Um, how is that any different in this way? You know, and, and, and the government giving money, like it's just, if, if they want the trust to be there, government should trying to be as le like least amount of involvement um, and, and having something that is fair and transparent for both the industry to know and see, but also for the public to know and see. To my knowledge, I uh, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, I don't even think there's a public list of all QCJO designated organizations. So like you can know you're shaking. So, so how is there supposed to be trust even within the industry no one trusts it right now because you say we have no idea who's a part of this we know what the criteria is because that's public but we don't know who you've accepted and who you've rejected we don't know why and nothing is there publicly so how is there supposed to be any trust in this industry when you know we say news uh, not we i definitely don't say it others say that the news industry is in crisis um i think the problem is that the, that trust is in crisis right now because it's not transparent. Everything is hidden behind closed doors. Everything is hidden behind NDAs. And no one was, is able to talk about anything publicly and share things publicly. 
Well, that's, I, I think you've, you've hit on a, on a really significant issue and uh, concerns around how this legislation may exacerbate some of those concerns around the public's trust in the media more broadly. You've been, you've been really generous with your time. One last uh, quick question. It's only been a few days, but what kind of reaction have you gotten from the government? You mentioned the need for consultation. I guess I'm also curious to, to what extent you were consulted on this legislation before it was introduced. Um, if at all. And uh, beyond that, uh, are they paying attention now, I suppose? Um, uh, Farhan, I can see him smiling. And I, I mean, I, I don't think we generally feel we were consulted a lot before. They're just to be fair, we were to some extent. So Press Forward was consulted. I mean, I had been on calls with Heritage before. I know some others had. Um, I'm not sure we felt we were heard. I would say um, so. So there was a couple of heritage staff that happened to uh, that were at the News Guys conference, and I actually feel like, uh, to their credit, that it was a, a the, the you know the there was a moment in time where they got to see these startups speak and hear about their stories, and it was I think uh, I think I felt like we were actually heard there, and they really started to listen. And I do, uh, I certainly, you know, certainly since this letter has gone out and the op-ed and the Global Mail has gone out and social campaigns have gone out, there's a lot of, there's a lot of activity. <laughs> it's been a busy week for everyone. And, and, and I think I do feel that we have been heard. And, and, and to be, to be honest with you, I mean, I've, I've had a couple of chats with uh, Paul Deegan at News Media Canada, who I think has, has heard us as well. And I think is, is fairly receptive to, to the notion of, of, uh, you know, and again, I don't want to, put words in his mouth and that's not for me, me to decide, but it's certainly he's engaged and, and, and very receptive to what we're hoping for. Um, you know, Heritage uh, has since Montreal has reached out um, the chief of staff for uh, Minister Rodriguez uh, participated in a call with a number of us, uh, which was great. Uh, other officials did as well. Uh, we've had some discussions with various MPs. Uh, so I, I, I do think that they are now listening. I, I just hope it, it, you know, it makes it to committee um, in a meaningful way. Is it far ahead? Do I miss anything in that? No, I mean, I think, you know, the, the really funny part about all of this, maybe ironic, is that all of this has happened in the past few weeks. This whole campaign, uh, the coalition that's come together, uh, you know, and it's funny, as, as I look at this, and I think, you know, again, this is terrible legislation coming from government, that had they just had the right conversations and and been open and had they proportionally given voices across the board, we wouldn't be in this situation where, you know, now scrambling uh, on both sides. Um, but, you know, it's it's nice to see, it's nice to see, you know, officials listening. Uh, it seems like, it seems like, you know, we're, we're now getting somewhere. Um, the fact that we've got over 125 different publishers across the country are uh, signed on to this thing and saying that we don't agree with this. Um, you know, like like Jeff said earlier, a lot of us probably would have liked to see this whole thing scrapped and and done differently. But, you know, we know that this is going to go through. Therefore, we need to think about what are those few things on it that really need changing. Um, we're not we're not asking for the moon. Uh, at this point, we're definitely not. All we're saying is we just want fairness. And as government, is that not what you want to give as well? Don't you want things to be fair? Don't you want a level playing field? Don't you want all these things? Is that not what we're doing here in Canada? So, you know, with that, uh, you, you've been able to see what a small number of people 
from across the country have been able to do in a very short time frame. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy at, at where we've come and, and where we're at today. And I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm hopeful at least that we're going to see some changes. I'm hopeful that the, that politicians and elected officials, they're going to be able to make the right decisions and bring the right people to the hearings and be open-minded and really thinking about what is, what is this going to do to the country? Because it will fundamentally affect the industry. It will fundamentally affect news and news production and therefore news consumption across the country. So we have to be really mindful of that. You know, we're all, uh, especially the, the ones um, who are part of the coalition, we're all thinking about the long term, about democracy in this country. We have to be really careful about this decisions that's being made. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really hopeful. Okay, well, that's, that's encouraging. I mean, the, this bill started life in the House, sort of rocketing through the House, to just two hours of debate on a Friday and the government cut off debate. But if anything, I think both of you have succeeded and your whole group has succeeded in not not pumping the brakes necessarily, but at least injecting some amount of debate, because as you suggest, this is critically important legislation. And for a while there, it didn't seem as if anybody was paying particularly close attention. Uh, hopefully that is going to change now. Jeff uh, Farhan, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me on the podcast and uh, walking us through uh, where you're at and uh, where your industry is at. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Michael. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.